You're listening to the Terror of the Woods podcast, where no question is a dumb question. I am your host, Star Strazabasco. Get your critical thinking caps on because we are seeking truth in a world where we are drowning in information that starved. Welcome back to Terror of the Woods. I'm your host, Star Strazabosco, and today we have Dr. Payne, and welcoming back, we have Broken, who is sitting in as our, um, our expert on not just architecture today, but also a, a, f- a friendly voice to the treatment of various elements that can also help with uh, COVID-19 and Dr. Payne is also here and he's our expert for other effective drugs that are off label and also treat COVID-19. So if you guys would like to introduce yourselves, uh, Dr. Payne, we can start with you. Yeah. Hey, Dr. Payne here, obviously not my real name. Uh, and I'm a triple boarded, uh, physician who's hospital based and, uh, and I interact with, uh, COVID-19 patients uh, pretty much on a daily basis. Awesome. And Broken, would you like to break it down for us and who you are and what you do? Yeah, well, actually, it's broken down, old general contractor, but broken is fine. Uh, I'm just a, a person who's a lifelong learner and inquisitive, and I, I've learned how to read, and my comprehension skills are, are relatively good. And uh, I'm capable of, uh, you know, thinking of things in a relatively logical way. So, you know, those are my credentials. Uh, I, I've got college degrees, but, you know, I think college degrees are way overblown. I think that as getting a college degree has nothing to do with intelligence or being able to think. Um, so, anyway, that's, that's who I am. I, I'm not a PhD. I'm not a doctor. I'm just a... Critical thinker. I'm just, yeah, there you go. That's right. Well, and we like that around here and we like to think logically. So I think uh, starting off with really trying to, to to give the audience a way to really understand this in layman's terms, I think you had a really great metaphor um, before we started recording today, Dr. Payne, if you'd like to go over that. Yeah, I, um, you know, my journey again for the last year and a half um, is it's been, been incredibly impactful and has changed a lot of my views and um, really because of multiple things that I saw that I just didn't expect that really sh- uh, shook me to the found- my foundations of trusting um, medicine, medical people with medical power, governmental powers, et cetera, just uh, for this whole uh, COVID-19 pandemic. And um, one of the, I think a... Um, a way to picture it is, is kind of like a puzzle. I, I heard a lecture one time where this gentleman was talking about his daughter and the, how they were putting together a puzzle of uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And they probably only put together about 40% of the puzzle. And the father was trying to teach his daughter something. He says, well, gosh, I, what is this a puzzle of? And the daughter said, well, dad, it's obviously... Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. And he said, well, honey, how can you say that? We haven't finished the puzzle. Look at all these pieces that are missing. Look at all these gaps. 
But Dad, you can see, look here, that's her face, and and this is this is you know droopy, and you can see here. I mean, and you can't see his hand here, but you can tell it's him. And so the daughter went by and explained how just because the puzzle wasn't finished, in fact, mostly was not, you could still see the big picture. And uh, essentially, in this last year and a half, there's seven puzzle pieces at least that have been placed on my puzzle that I, even though I don't have all the knowledge, even though there's a lot of gaps, a picture has emerged for me. And um, so I, I kind of wanted to talk about, and I can just run down if that's okay, yeah. Star, seven puzzle pieces. And now you had an analogy as well. Maybe you can just share that real quick. Yeah. And, you know, I actually thought of another one. Well, not really an analogy, but um, I think what's happening right now in the world We've been so confined to our roles and um, uh, our studies and our families that we really haven't had a chance to explore other, you know, uh, other industries or uh, other research that we normally don't read at the end of the night, you know. Um, But I think all of our puzzle pieces are coming together you have the seven dwarves completed, but I feel like I have the Snow White to connect to it. And really, I mean, the people of the of the world that don't want us to connect our puzzle pieces together are keeping us apart, right? But yeah. getting back to the analogy that we spoke about, yeah. how many coincidences until it's mathematically impossible? Right. So, right. And, he, yeah, go on. And you talked about the Wheel of Fortune, right? Right, yes. So, you know, when you're playing the, or watching the Wheel of Fortune, they're a guy or, or a woman, they're starting to win, right? And everybody at home's like, it says this, it says this. But they hold back because they're trying to get those points up, you know, trying to take in that yeah. money. And then finally, they solve the puzzle, even though they've known yeah. for two commercial breaks, right? Right, right. And, and you could basically figure out what the phrase is before you get all the letters, you know, and yeah. that's the same thing here. Um, so here's, here's my seven puzzle pieces. And then we can kind of, uh, you know, put some flesh on the bones thereafter. My first was just the poor dissemination of information from the get go. And I'm talking as a physician. So I'm a physician in the hospital every day and unbelievably where you have this pandemic and there's just very little information coming in about the demographics of the patients, how you treat the patients, all of these things. So that was baffling to me. The second puzzle piece was that, again, talking about patients, what's the clinical approach you're taking these patients? Because they were so odd, especially the ones we put on ventilators, the ventilator settings, it was just a different thing. It wasn't a typical ARDS picture when we see these people. Another puzzle piece was the when we started hearing about possible efficacious repurposed medications like hydroxychloroquine, uh, uh, with zinc and uh, azithromycin, et cetera, and ivermectin, um, it seemed like all of a sudden there was all this negative press from the media, from Dr. Fauci, from big tech, from the pharmaceutical company, all this negative shooting these, these therapies down. Fourth puzzle piece for me was the fake studies that came out. And we could talk about those at length a little bit later, but fake study after fake study after fake study um, that made, and we're talking about in big journals, New England Journal of Medicine, The Lancet, the JAMA, et cetera. Uh, my, my fifth puzzle piece was the censorship 
of opposing viewpoints. Um, I experienced that from my colleagues. Uh, I saw it on a national uh, stage as well. If if you were saying something different from Dr. Fauci or the CDC or the WHO, uh, you were looked on, upon as, an, as uh, a bad person as opposed to a scientist. A uh, sixth puzzle piece was the whole, the whole thing surrounding the vaccinations, how they became very politicized, how there was lack of, uh, in, in my mind, um, openness about uh, some of the concerns about the vaccines, also the kind of dis dismissing people that had concerns about this new technology. And seventh for me was also just the government responses uh, to this whole pandemic. Uh, you know, and one example that everybody knows of that this porous southern border where you're literally in tens of thousands of people who are COVID positive, maybe hundreds of thousands of people. Um, and yet the policy toward the citizens um, was uh, quite draconian, but it's okay to have COVID and walk across the border and go into any restaurant. So those are just some of the seven puzzle pieces for me that when you put them together, I, I, I get a I'm getting a bigger picture. Absolutely. And so I think what we could start with is the poor information, right? That would be the first one. Yeah. And what what was the first extreme, like the, the red pill of poor information for you as, as a physician? Right. I, I think one of the first ones was the New England Journal of Medicine article that came out on um, the Seattle cohort. There was a cohort of 24 patients because Seattle was one of the places that was really hit first early on. Um, and the data, uh, so the, the, the journal uh, published this article about um, what these patients were looking like, what their lab value, what their clinical presentation, uh, their clinical course in the hospital, et cetera. And it was the oddest thing because when you read a study, I would say half the studies that get published are garbage, right? And you don't know that by reading the headline, right? You have to go in and look at all the data. And literally, um, it was so difficult. In fact, right now, if you go to the website and you put in Seattle New England Journal COVID-19, you're going to get an article and you're going to get the PDF article. And it doesn't have the charts that you really need to see. In fact, what you have to look for is the supplementary appendix. And, uh, because what I wanted to see is the demographics of these people. And, and by demographics, I mean, what is their age? Uh, what are their comorbidities? Uh, what's their weight? You know, I want to, you know, what do these people look like? And when I looked at that supplemental appendix, 24 patients, what I found was people that are getting this disease and getting sick from it and dying are people who have a BMI, a body mass index of greater than 30 and people with diabetes mellitus. Those two things just jumped out from this cohort, okay? And I literally thought, my God, that's nowhere in the main body of this article. I mean, it, it would be like the headline for, uh, you know, for 9-11, okay? The headline would be, uh, two jet liners go missing, or, <laughs> or New York uh, skyline uh, gets, uh, gets a new overhaul for a new look. You know, that would be the headline. And it's like, yeah, but two planes crashed into and destroyed these 
Right. Right? It's much I mean, like the, the the media or the headlines that we see in our favorite newspapers, right, today. You really need to read the article. Exactly. And it was like every doctor would want to know this information. And so once I had that information, I had some, you know, when I went to the hospital, I had, okay, and we started talking to the, the doctors. But it was this type of poor information. And in order to really seriously to find out how to treat people, you actually had to go on the Internet. And you'd see people post videos. Hey, I'm an ER doc in New York City, and this is what I'm seeing. Or, right. I, and I said to myself, why isn't Fauci and all these guys talking about this stuff at night? Yeah, they have us- access to the internet, don't they? Yeah, they have access to all this stuff. Why aren't they? T- why aren't, you know? Why isn't there a coordinated effort to disseminate information to physicians to help us treat these people and to you know and also understand who's really at risk here so we can risk stratify. Right. So. So that was one piece that I was like, I I was just pounding my head against the wall. Yeah. And, you know, I actually have a a little side story for this. Um, This was probably about three months ago. ABC News put out a Twitter post and it was also it was linked to an article that they did. And it said 75 percent of Americans or some crazy number like that. I'll have to find and put it on on our post. 75 percent of Americans approve of Biden's handling of COVID-19. And like you, I clicked in and I actually went to the bottom of the article and I found the actual polling and it was based off of only 517 people. Mm. 517. There's over 300 million people in America. <laughs> so if you look at no, that. According to Biden, there's 350 million people have been vaccinated. That's right. So that's there right. must be more. Yes. Oh, wait. But aren't, weren't 100 million supposed to die also, according to him, last year when we're going to have a dark winter? Anyways, so, you know, going into the actual polling, seeing 517 people. This is ABC News, Okay. The editor should have thrown that intern out who did that reporting because only an intern would put together 517 people to make a big claim like that on a headline. So, you know, it's everything's distorted, but they know that you're not going to go and look. That's the problem. They know they've made us so busy. Getting back to my point earlier, they have made us so busy that they know we don't have time to, but now people are so curious, but also they know that there's other truth out there. They want to find the truth. And so you start with what you know, your primary sources. But if you look into the primary sources, they're not they're not primary sources. They're fake sources. So um, sorry, I just a side note for, for everyone. And we'll make sure to link everything that we have we're talking about today. So let, let's go into the second puzzle piece. Well, and, and the second puzzle piece was, again, um, um, how do you really care for these people? Um, and that wasn't coming out from anybody. And really, the third puzzle piece I wanted to just get to real quick, it, it, and I could go through that second puzzle piece a lot, but the third puzzle piece, because I want to get broken involved here. I, I'm a really busy doctor. I mean, I work a lot. And it's and uh, it, well, it's it, hard to save uh, lives against the system. So, yeah. Yeah. And I, I just I, I work a ton and I read a ton. I read the literature. But I tell you, I I was always amazed because I've talked to Broken. And I say, hey, look into this, look into that. And this guy, Broken, is a research machine. 
And he, he's, he uh, reads things, he understands things, and he asks very intelligent questions. So we would have two-hour discussions, and he would say, and he would send me things. Have you seen this? Have you seen this? Have you seen this? And I just thought to myself, it was so different from my experience of my, some of my colleagues at the hospital um, that I just, they, in my opinion, they weren't reading the literature. Mm-hmm. And Broken here knew more about how to treat this illness than the doctors I work yeah. with. Well, and I think regular people who, who don't work in the medical field, I think they get scared to ask questions because they're going to look stupid. But actually, it helps us learn even more about the subject. And now Broken, he's basically a PhD. I mean, we have a yeah. um, the, the White House, <laughs> what's her name? Uh, the First Lady, who's who is a PhD, right? And we're expected Do- to call Jill. her doctor. Dr. Jill. Dr. Jill, yeah. that's her name. So we have Dr. Broken. Go on, Doctor Broken. What you got? I I agree uh, I agree with with Doctor Payne completely uh, in that uh, first of all I go back to the number one that that, that information thing uh, the kind of information we're getting and the kind of information that's allowed to be be gotten out what what's happened is people are being de- de- deplatformed uh, the, the, the the what Brett Weinstein he had a three hour blog with Robert Malone and Robert Malone was instrumental in developing uh, the lipid envelope that holds the mRNA that can get into the cell so that it can replicate. I mean, he, he was one of the ones that figured out how to do that back in you know, the late 1980s. And that he had a three hour podcast with uh, Eric Weinstein, who is a uh, uh, evolutionary biologist. You know, he's a, he's a PhD. He's an educated man. I, I'm not a. I don't buy the evolutionary part, but you know, he's obviously very intelligent and and, and knows how to ask the right questions and understands uh, much about biology. Obviously, YouTube just shut him down completely. He's gone. Right. They, they took that three hours. It's just gone. And so that's happened time and time and time again. Any, anybody, I mean, they, they have quote unquote fact checkers at Facebook, at YouTube, all the major platforms. And if anybody says anything that disagrees with what the CDC says, it gets erased. <laughs> so you, you can't, you, I mean, these people, they're, they're, they're finding alternative platforms now, thank goodness, and, and they're getting the word out. But uh, we're in an environment now Whereas if you don't hold the party line, if you don't agree with the CDC and the FDA and the WHO in lockstep with them, your voice is silenced. You, you can't be heard. There's no dialogue. For example is when Fauci came out in March of 2020 and said masks were useless. And then what, two weeks later, he talks about talking. And never once have I ever heard anybody from the government say, well, we decided that masks or effective because here's the studies here's the science that shows it they never talk about science they never talk about science and you know Ever. what i, I want to play a quick soundbite to get your guys's reaction and this is dr fauci talking about those masks right now in the united states people should not be walking around with masks you're sure of it because people are listening really no, closely to this right now people should not be walking. there's no reason to be walking around with a mask when you're in the middle of an outbreak, wearing a mask might make people feel a little bit better, and it might even block a, a droplet 
but it's not providing the perfect protection that people think that it is. And often, there are unintended consequences. People keep fiddling with the mask and they keep touching their face. And can you get some schmutz sort of staying inside there? Of course, of course. But when you think masks, you should think of healthcare providers needing them and people who are ill. So did anything change, Dr. Payne, from that that clip, which came from 60 Minutes, to today, where, where we had to wear five masks, seven masks? I mean, it was out of control with the masks. Has anything changed that would change what he had said back in March of 2020? Um, so all the data, and the reason he said that is the data on masks, and it specifically has to do with influenza A, for the past 30 years have shown that masks, the, the great majority of studies have shown that masks are ineffective. Talking about these surgical masks are ineffective in stopping influenza A transmission. Okay. It just simply doesn't protect you. That's for the past 30 years. As recently as May 2020, the CDC's oh own publication stated that masks were not efficacious. Now, the study of the two cruise ships, that had some interesting data that said maybe uh, there's some help with a mask. There's some data that's that could point toward that, but there's no good data particularly the type of data that, that Fauci always wants, double-blinded, placebo-controlled, random. We don't have those for masks. And he says that if you don't have that type of study, it's worthless. Well, we have nothing like that for masks. Mm-hmm. So, And what, what about the, uh, the flu pandemic back in the, the 1800s? Didn't we wear masks and we actually saw a rise in lung issues? You're talking about the uh, Spanish flu. That was 1918. Okay. Um, and, See, I'm yeah, glad they, we have you here. We, we, yeah. we, did have a, we did have a pandemic in 1890, and that was also oh. likely a coronavirus. And that was one of the d- most deadly, uh, probably a million people died. But I'm sorry, go ahead, Broken. Oh, okay. Well, I wasn't aware of that, so I stand corrected. But they, yeah, and they wrote up the mask, you know, obviously it didn't help. The question I would love to ask Fauci, that nobody's ever asked him, and this is what I'd like to ask him. Just, Dr. Fauci, you're a scientist, correct? Yes, I am. And you are a believer in following the science and following the data. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay. When you sp- spoke emphatically in March of 2020 to 60 Minutes that it was useless for people to wear masks, was that based on scientific knowledge or not? <laughs> Right. And if it was, if it was based on science, then what changed in the next two weeks that reversed your decision on whether we should wear a mask or not? But nobody's ever asked him that question. He never gets he, he never gets a tough question from anybody other than Rand Paul. Well, and there, right. there was never any firm guidance, even from the states. I always refer back to to the children with, with the masks on. I can't imagine being a young child trying to develop. I mean, it takes oxygen and water and nutrients to develop. I can't imagine being a child trying to sit there and learn with a mask on, especially a young child who's sneezing into their mask, who's dropping it on the ground, stomping it with their feet, putting it back on their face. There was never any guidelines on, okay, parents, yes, you need to have a mask on your child. 
you need to make sure that they have a few extras. You also need to make sure that the teachers have extra masks in case the child needs an extra. I mean, there was never those follow-up guidelines on any of this. So it was just assumed everyone was going to keep their mask clean and, you know, uh, wear it wear it correctly because that was also an issue. At first, they just wanted us to tie a doily around our face as long as there was something on our face. So none of it ever really made any sense. No, and I, I, I gave you, a, I sent an article to you as well, Star, uh, and this was also from the New England Journal of Medicine. It was a letter. Uh, it was kind of a letter to the editor, so to speak. It was kind of this, uh, and, and, and New England Journal does that, these letters. And what it was, it was, just, it, was uh, it was about masks. And it was essentially saying, it said in there that the mask wearing could be the thing that decides whether millions die or just thousands die. I mean, they, they really, the mask was all about, and that anybody who was against wearing or even questioned wearing a mask was probably a, a, a Trump supporting rube. And that was literally uh, an, an, an anti-science. They used anti-science throughout that. And the interesting thing is they never once, the author never once provided any science, any study showing that masks were efficacious, not one. Yet anybody that even questioned whether masks were uh, efficacious, they were called anti-scientific Trump loving rubes. Literally, and, and I would encourage uh, your listeners to read that New England Journal letter. Uh, I think it was, uh, it was Rosenbaum that wrote it. Um, very worthwhile reading. It's incredibly condescending. And uh, it, it, it was it was this the, the title of it was also funny because it was like, how do we bridge the divide? Right. And then and it was like, well, you know, I think when you try to bridge the divide, you pr- try to sit down and treat people as human beings and have respect for them. And this was just a diatribe of castigating, basically saying that if you don't agree with us, you're an idiot and you're a horrible person. Right. And, and when people get to that point, really, the argument is over because all they yeah, have it, is just, you know, bad words to spit at you. And then it's like, yeah. OK, well, how, how do we bridge that divide? Because I, yeah, I got it, some pretty good bad words, but I don't have time yes. to do this. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the message was, how do we bridge the divide? You shut up and do what I say. I mean, that's essentially what it was. I mean, and that I read that in New England. I was, I could, I was flabbergasted. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, here's another, you know, I, I'd like to play the clip, but we don't have it. But there was a, a, a Dr. Osterholm who was on the COVID committee for Biden, Joe Biden's top COVID advisor, just went on CNN and admitted that masks people are wearing don't work against COVID. Uh, and he went on and on about the cloth masks and whatnot, and how they're basically useless. He isn't the only Biden advisor to have admitted that cloth masks do little to stop the spread of the coronavirus. In one of his thousands of emails unearthed by the Washington Post and BuzzFeed News via Freedom of Information Act requests, White House medical advisor, Dr. Anthony Fauci, advised that the typical mask one gets from the drugstore is not really effective in keeping out the virus. Well, it says so, it on the box. It says it right yeah. there on the box. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the point is, even officials from the Biden administration are admitting that these cloth masks are useless. Right. Yeah. Go, go, going on to puzzle number, th- uh, piece number three for me was, Something that happened to me, I mean, because I took take care of COVID patients, 
Um, I started seeing the literature early on, uh, particularly Harvey Risch's article. Um, he pre-published first, but later was uh, published in the American Journal of Epidemiology, which is a fantastic article. That's also in the resources, and I highly recommend people read that. I went, I uh, wrote prescriptions um, because I, didn't, I wanted to protect my family against getting this disease. And so I wrote a prescription for hydroxychloroquine and, and I'd written jillions of prescriptions for hydroxychloroquine. I did a lot of, um, took care of a lot of people from overseas with malaria, malaria prophylaxis. And uh, I went to a large pharmacy chain and they uh, said, well, what's this for? And I said, well, it's for, uh, you know, COVID treatment and or prophylaxis. Uh, we can't, we can't give this unless we talk to the doctor. I said, I am the doctor. And they said, you know what? Our policy is that we're not going to give this. This is too dangerous of a drug and it's off label. And we're only, we're going to save it for uh, the people that we use, you know, for arthritis and for, for malaria. And I said, well, if it's so dangerous, why would you be given to those people? Number one, number two, over 50% of the drugs that we write for are off-label. So you can't use that as an excuse. It was the first time in my 30-plus years of practicing medicine that uh, one of my prescriptions was not honored. They refused to fill it. And I said, look, I work with COVID patients. I have family members at home who have risk factors. Sorry, we will not fill this. And so that goes to the, you know, I was flabbergasted again because I thought, this is coming from the top. And these poor pharmacists, they felt awful, but they couldn't do it because from the top, and again, this is organized from the government and from the top. They said, pharmaceutical companies do not allow this drug to be used, except in really sick hospitalized patients where we know it won't work. And where nobody who advocates the use of hydroxychloroquine with azithromycin or doxycycline with zinc, it's used in a, a cocktail, Anybody that used, you know, use these medicine for outpatient COVID disease, phase one disease, not a single person would use those in the hospital. And yet the EAUA of it was, oh, you can only use it in studies in the hospital. So right there, I, I was just like, what is going on? I mean, these people are the stupidest people in the world. Okay. And they're doctors and Fauci starts saying this stuff and the FDA starts saying this stuff. And I go, these are really smart people. How can they be saying this? I mean, are they on drugs? Are they? So that was a piece of the puzzle, again, that I just couldn't understand. Well, How can they say this is a dangerous medication? It's not a dangerous medication. Right. And I think it was really interesting when you had a conversation with one of those said pharmacists where they said that ivermectin wasn't FDA approved for the treatment yeah. of COVID. And then you said. Now, that was, now that was today. So I've. I've treated people all over the United States. I will call in prescriptions for ivermectin and for doxycycline. And in California, I, I think I spoke to every pharmacy in California today, a big, one of these big chains, the pharmacist said, you know what, um, we're, uh, we're out of stock. I said, well, what are you going to have stock in? And it says, well, you're using this, you want to use this for COVID. And I go, yes, I do. And they said, well, that's not FDA approved. So we're not going to, I would not dispense it. It's not FDA approved. And I said, do you um, give any vaccinations there at the pharmacy? Well, yeah. I go, uh, are they FDA approved? For the COVID shot. For the COVID shot. Right. And yep. they said, look, I, I have to go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> 
And, uh, and we're just it, making up things as we go. So. Yeah. And so, again, in California, now I've called this into multiple states and had no problem. California, I could not find a pharmacy in California that would dispense ivermectin. This was today as I was treating a, 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 treat a patient, actually a whole family uh, in California. I couldn't get that. Couldn't get ivermectin. I had a family member that you ended up helping out. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And sure. that family yep. member's uh, journey was getting into a hospital, which they're, they live in a very rural part of the state that they're from. After traveling about two hours to get to that healthcare institution, the doctor tests the patient, the family member of mine, positive for COVID. The only reason why family member got the COVID test was to get some treatment. And instead, they sent him home with a pamphlet and said, get some rest. You can imagine how upset that family member was. And then I let Dr. Payne know here, and he was able to put in a prescription in that state, which is not California, obviously. And they had to actually travel again, you know, the next day, about two and a half hours to go get that prescription. And it was only a couple hours after they started taking it, they could feel like they had finally made a turn and they were getting better. And now they're they're doing great. So really appreciate yep. and, that. And, and that's universal. In the, in the patients I use this medication on, ivermectin with, again, with zinc sulfate, doxycycline, typically within 12 to 24 hours, people uh, notice a big difference. And, and the studies show that, um, again, using ivermectin, 99.8% of the virus is, uh, is vanquished essentially uh, within 24 hours. And right. it's just incredibly efficacious. There's probably a hundred studies showing that it's efficacious in early disease. Again, uh, one study in chest. This was the group. Um, and what is what Broward. is chest? Chest is is one of the premier uh, medical journals in the world. So you get New England Journal, uh, Lancet, The Lancet, JAMA, Chest. Uh, so it's it's a very well known journal. Uh, this article was uh, published in January of 2021. Now the data was taken uh, between March and May of 2020. But the authors, I spoke actually with the authors. I said, why did it take so long to get this thing published? Because no one would publish it. And it's hard to get things published, but they put it in preprint. Finally, Chess published it. And again, I I mean, all these other things, all these other journals were publishing nonsense, right? Early on, like in, in the, the May articles in the Lancet and the New England Journal. And yet the stuff that really was saving people's life wasn't published until January of 2021. But anyway, they used uh, a ivermectin protocol in the Broward County hospitals. There's four hospitals there. So this is a big hospital system in, in Florida. The two uh, primary authors was a husband and wife team who are ICU doctors. So I communicate with them. I says, are you still using this? He goes, yeah, we have a protocol. I said, can you send it to me? He said, sure. They used it in hospitalized patients. Okay. So ivermectin they were using it in the second and third phase of this disease. And the efficacy was mind-boggling. Uh, let me just read you. For the ivermectin group, the mortality rate was 13.3% versus 24.5% in the control group. And by the way, they had already used most of these patients here uh, in, in these Broward County hospitals they had used uh, hydroxychloroquine on as well. They had used hydroxychloroquine and, and other medications. 
but the different medication was the ivermectin. And so even in second and third phase disease, ivermectin showed incredible efficacy, which you're not going to see in hydroxychloroquine. Hydroxychloroquine doesn't work very well in the second phase of the disease. That is the, the lung phase of this disease. And then the, the uh, cytokine storm, that third phase, we start getting multi-organ issues because the way uh, hydroxychloroquine and zinc work, hydroxychloroquine allows the zinc to get into infected cells and stop the replication of the virus inside infected cells. And so that's the first phase of the disease, that first eight days of the disease, you have to treat it as soon as possible. If you wait too long, again, it won't be terribly efficacious. Ivermectin is, is actually efficacious in all three phases of this disease. What uh, Dr. Payne alluded to is the you know 98% of the virus is gone. I mean, it's when you take ivermectin, it just wipes it out. It's gone. It's disappeared. It's, it, you know, it's, it's not there. You can't detect it. It's not there anymore. It's gone. So it, it actually just destroys it, uh, much less, you know, replication. Who cares about replication if it's destroyed? It can't replicate because it doesn't, it doesn't exist anymore. That's one of the interesting things about ivermectin, and I think that's one of the reasons maybe why it works in all three phases, because it's just absolutely just somebody did a video on exactly how it works. And I, I couldn't follow yeah. all the pieces, but yeah. it's, it's, it's very sophisticated and it, it's very effective. Yeah. In the second and third phase of the disease, it acts as an anti-inflammatory agent. What you get is a, a big time inflammation. You get uh, injury of the endothelium of blood vessels, et cetera. And that's why you get the clotting and you get the elevation of the D-dimer, which is a test that we get in the hospital that shows and that's the spike protein, right? That's correct. The spike protein causes that. Yes, that's correct. Okay. Well, let's let, speaking of studies, let's get to uh, one of our sound bites on the France study and uh, want to get your guys' reaction. Let me play that. The study from France involved uh, basically 20 patients uh, who were treated with hydroxychloroquine. They excluded a number of patients from the study who didn't take the chloroquine, something like six patients, because three of them went to the ICU, one of them died, one of them left the hospital, and the other one stopped because of nausea. All it showed was that it, it reduced the amount and duration through which it seemed like people might be contagious with, um, with COVID-19. Uh, okay. <laughs> you know, before somebody says something, they, they ought to actually... <laughs> read the article okay that was uh, an article that was from marseille france and it was 42 people he was right about the sixth number okay but it was 42 people that was published march 20th 2020 and that was in the international journal of antimicrobial agents okay so that was a published study but the, by the way has not been withdrawn like i'm sure the other studies this guy probably quotes from the lancet and, and new england journal the thing about it this study I did look for decrease of the virus in, in, the, in the nasal uh, cavity. It was 50 times more effective than control. And the p-value uh, for this study was 0. 0.0007. The p-value, uh, that's a measure of how reliable the study is from the perspective of when we, when we do studies, we look, at, uh, we look at two variables, for instance. In other words, if I give you a medication, uh, and I give another person a sugar pill, if I just use you know, 10 people, by chance, you can see, does this person drop over dead or not? So if I give this medication 
to 40 people, you know, and all 40 people drop dead and 40 people over here get a sugar pill and they all jump up in joy and they, and they leave, you know, they do fine. How do I know that this, that isn't from chance versus that secondary to the medication? And that's a statistical study. It's called the null hypothesis and a P value less than 0.5. So the smaller the P value, the better the congruence that is that this is causal versus it just being related. When you have a very small p-value, that tells you that the, the effect of getting rid of the virus in the nose in these patients, in these COVID-positive patients, is because of the medication and not because of some other variable, okay? So this guy did not know what he was talking about. This was a study that's been published. It's, it hasn't been taken off the market, been disproven. It is statistically significant. That's what we say. It's statistically significant when that p-value was so low. So that Marseille study was was a scientific study that was valid. I'm going to play MSNBC with uh, Dr. Fauci. The president again today repeated his endorsement of hydroxychloroquine, which the FDA said in June should not be used for COVID because it does not have known effects, known benefits, and it does have known risks for cardiac effects. So uh, how, how damaging is that, that he retreated the, vi the video and defended it again today? Well, the only thing that I can do, Andrea, is, is do what I've done all along consistently, is that you look at the scientific data and the evidence, and the scientific data, the cumulative data on, on trials, clinical trials that were valid, namely clinical trials that were randomized and controlled in the proper way, all of those trials show consistently that hydroxychloroquine is not effective in the treatment of coronavirus disease or COVID-19. So this is right after Trump has been really endorsing uh, this drug. And then you have Dr. Fauci coming out saying there's no scientific data. So this was after Harvey Risch's published article in the International Journal of, of uh, Epidemiology. And in that study, which is included in the notes down there, uh, he goes through very clearly five trials, one of them being that Marseille trial, he goes through that shows that and demonstrates that actually hydroxychloroquine is effective. Now, here's the kicker. Here's the point. In the first phase or an early phase of the disease. Now, all of these studies that Fauci was looking at, he was looking at what I call the fake studies, okay? And like I said before, hydroxychloroquine with azithromycin and zinc are, is efficacious in treating COVID-19 in the early stages, because the way it works is it keeps the virus from replicating, okay? It does not work well in the second phase, and it works not at all. In fact, it might be dangerous in the third phase of the disease when you have the, the storm, okay? When you have the cytokine storm. Nobody who advocates and uses hydroxychloroquine, zinc, and azithromycin, nobody advocates for the use of it outside of that first phase of the disease. Yet, every single study that was published in these big journals, in JAMA, that, the VA study that came out in, in March, the Lancet article, one after the other, the British Journal of Medicine, all the big journals did studies on hydroxychloroquine. They did not include zinc, 
Okay. And you need the zinc, but they never use the zinc. And here's where they went wrong. The devil's in the details. Not one of those studies had the right cohort of patients. They would always give the hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin to people in the second and third phase of the disease. So it was an inpatient study. So it were patients that were already ill. They were already in the second phase. Nobody advocates that advocates for the use of hydroxychloroquine and zinc and azithromycin or doxycycline. They all use it for outpatients in first phase disease, not in inpatients, not in hospitalized patients. So every single one of the studies, they had people who had symptoms after seven days, seven days or longer, two weeks of, of, of symptoms. It's not going to work in those people. And Number so one. do you Number think two. that they, they, they did these studies knowing that so that they would actually produce? It, it, great question. At first I thought, oh, they're just, they're, they're missing the nuance. But here's the thing. Harvey Risch at that time, when they started publishing studies in May, first the, 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 uh, the, the VA study, I believe, was in April. And then the, uh, the Lancet and the New England Journal, the, the ones they got from the Surgisphere data, which is a complete farce. We could talk about that. Again, this data, because Harvey Rich was being criticized and saying, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about, all the spotlight was on this one guy from Yale University, this epidemiologist. So they knew his work. They had read it. And all he said, in fact, in his, uh, in his published article, he says, this is all about outpatient medicine, not hospitalized. And he pointed that disparity out. Okay. So I know they knew about it. They had to know about it. So, but still, every study, they would not use the proper intervention. They would use hydroxychloroquine. They would never use zinc. They would get these people that were half dead already that we would never use uh, hydroxychloroquine on. Or, like the Minnesota study, they would choose a cohort of young people, okay, these people in their 20s and 30s, and they go, look, there's no difference between hydroxychloroquine and zinc and the, uh, hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin these people than not treating them all. Well, that's because nobody who advocates the use of hydroxychloroquine is going to use it in young, healthy people. That's what uh, Vladimir Zelenko, that was his protocol. He would, he would send the people who were young, healthy people, because they don't die from this disease, they would send them home. So, of course, you're not going to see any difference when you take young, healthy people, because they don't get sick from this disease. They don't go on to the second and third phase of the disease. Right. And you so, know, th this is a great segue into your last puzzle piece, how everything became politicized. For a minute, you'll see a blip of somebody who has some information that might be able to break that me mainstream media barrier. And then yeah. they just attack them and then they're gone, right? It seems like this was one of those instances. Yeah, yeah. And, and the thing about it is, when you had those fake studies, and everybody knows about the Lancet study, the New England Journal of Medicine study that was powered by the information from this, this company called Surgisphere. And it was in Chicago. This, yes. From and Chicago. Was, yes. <laughs> and it was this, this guy, Sapan Desai, who's the head of this company. And he, his name was put on these journal articles with the, the Lancet and the New England Journal. Well, supposedly they, they, they got all this information, okay, on people from over 600 hospitals and on five continents. And supposedly this Surgisphere company gathered all this information. Well, anybody that knows anything about trying to get information from a hospital and get permission to get this delicate information, this HIPAA protected information, knew that that was bogus. And so you had 200 researchers and doctors 
write to the the editor of the Lancet and say this is impossible. The newspaper, the Guardian, they, they're the ones that did the investigative research and they found out that this guy was a complete fraud that the surgisphere had like six employees there's no way six employees can gather much, that much information like okay fact checkers online right so it was it was obvious that this was fake okay right. now here's my question here's my question the lancet and the new england journal of medicine what they do every day is look at articles and make sure they're legitimate okay they make sure they're legitimate. Why did they publish those articles that said hydroxychloroquine will kill you? And when they published their articles, the WHO stopped all studies ongoing of hydroxychloroquine, stopped every single one of them, right. and scared everybody in the world from using it because of these fake articles. My question was, and this is getting to that, that last puzzle piece about the government involvement, mm -hmm. is it, this would be tatamount, okay? This would be tantamount to a, a person who is a, say, uh, well, let's look at uh, uh, Broken, the, the general contractor. This would be equivalent to building a house without a roof on it and thinking, yeah, that's just fine. I go, how could you miss the roof? You know, how could you not? Oh, yeah. I mean, if you build houses every day, you know that every house needs the roof. How could the Lancet and the New England Journal of Medicine take this? Th this was so obviously being duped. Because they Again. know regular people who are living their lives don't realize that you need a roof, right? So it, they were playing the game, and anybody who was going to speak out against them who was a doctor, they were just going to pound down into the sand. It's impossible for them not to have known that this data was bogus, right. okay? It's literally someone coming to you and say, I have a bridge to sell you in Brooklyn and you believing it. That's, that's, what, that's the level I'm talking about. So that for me was the kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. That right there was like, this is impossible. Nobody could be that gullible. Right. And, and get, this is the getting back, getting back to the World Health Organization, which is the WHO for yeah. the audience. Yes. Um, they've recently changed their herd immunity definition, correct? Yes. Yes. And and Broken can talk to this. Yeah. Broken, let's hear from you. Well, I, I want to get back to the, the, the politics of this thing for a minute. Dr. Payne and I have talked, we both realized that the AMA came out in the spring of 2020, really condemning hydroxychloroquine. And then in November of 2020, quietly buried in the, what, page 20, you had to scroll down for 10 minutes to find it in, in, in their journal. They said, oh, well, you know, I guess patient and the doctor you know, uh, you know, we're, we're okay with people, you know, prescribing hydroxychloroquine. Well, you have, you have Fauci who controls $4 billion of funding every year, 4 billion, four with a B billion. That's a lot of money. If you want to get money to do research and you want to do re research that he doesn't like, you don't get money. What happened in this whole thing, when it started out, there was never any talk about therapies. And one of the things that Dr. Peter McCullough talked about drove home. He says, that's not how doctors work. When somebody comes into my office, I'm, Dr. McCullough's office, I'm saying, speaking for him as him. 
when somebody comes into my office and they and I give them a diagnosis of it, I don't just say, okay, we'll just go home and, and I'll, I'll talk to you later. See, see how it goes. I and mean, it gets real bad. Go to the ICU. Give them a prescription. Dr. Payne's talk about this. You know, I'm going to give them an antibiotic or whatever. Don't walk out of the office without some kind of therapy or some kind, kind of game plan to how to deal with what's, what's wrong with them. And so what we found, what we saw is that from the very beginning is there was government didn't even make an attempt to talk about therapies. They talked about what? Vaccines. You had Bill Gates yes. up there saying every human being in the world has to be vaccinated. And the journalist named Whitney Webb, who I have a lot of respect for, and her conclusion was this whole thing was just set up so that they could develop control over people and get everybody's medical information. So everybody, the whole world is on the database and everybody's medical information is, is known. And then that's going to be, it's going to be, next thing is going to be their financial information. It's a control thing. Everything that's happened, it was, it ends up is they're having control and look what's happening now. Fauci just said this weekend, Oh, well, you know, we're going to get approval here in about two weeks. And once that happens, man, we can mandate like crazy because you can't mandate drug or a therapy that's not approved by the FDA. But once it's approved, then you can say, oh, now we can mandate it. And you, you, you see right from the very start, right from the beginning, it was vaccine, 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 yes. vaccine, vaccine. Yeah. And for something that, and we have this on our website, you can find underneath the jab, a link straight to the CDC website, the scenarios that are broken down and that you have in most cases a 97.9% survival rate. So for something like that and for all of the other communicable diseases that we have in the world, you would think that we would maybe attack those ones first with a vaccine. But this almost seemed as if it was already there to begin with. And you can actually find patent.gov. I mean, it's right there on the website. They started, and I, I don't know the process, and so maybe we can do another separate uh, podcast episode on just how or why you would get a virus patent. But this one was patented back in 2015, I believe. There's a lot of questions, and the patent was done by Bill Gates, and the number for the patent was 060606. So if you remove those zeros, what do you got? How many coincidences before it's mathematically yeah. impossible? The first Apple uh, computer actually was sold for $666, too. So, And the vaccine part also was kind of the head of Snow White for me, so to speak. When they started coming out and said, people who have had the disease, clearly have had the disease and have survived, we want them to get the vaccination as well. That made no sense at all. That was the stupidest thing I've ever said. Why? I said, because, you know, if you give them a vaccine, you're going to give them problems. That's dangerous. You shouldn't do, you shouldn't give people who already have immunity, natural immunity, you shouldn't give them a vaccine. I've never heard of anything. Well, and so now an immune, immune system is actually a conspiracy theory. A lot of people don't even know that they well, have one anymore. You know, Fauci was pushing that. I'm just thinking, wait a second, that this is so anti-science. You, and, and here's another thing they would say, well... And you see this on TV all the time on CNN, et cetera. Well, the antibodies are low. The antibodies are low. And, and Fauci would even say this stuff. And it's like, it doesn't matter what your antibodies are low. It's your T-memory cells. Got it. And your T-memory cells, 
It doesn't matter if you're antibodies or low. You have team memory cells. And so, again, they were saying things that I knew the pedestrian, the person on the street wouldn't understand, but any physician would know, okay? And that's why, again, one after the other, after the other, after the other, it's like, okay, how many times do I have to play poker that this guy has a straight flush, you know, or, you know, a royal flush? before I stop playing cards with them because he's cheating. <laughs> you know? Right. Well, again, they were, they were uh, making things up as they go, but their end, their ends was the, the vaccine. And when we saw it also being rolled out and handing kids scholarships to get the vaccine yeah. in West Virginia, they were giving away yeah. trucks and guns to get the vaccine. And you have these companies like, uh, Krispy Kreme donuts and Samuel Adams beer, giving away free products, things that that make you more, you know, uh, obese in America, yeah. right? And that's the reason, or the, that's the biggest population of people that are getting the virus. You know, it, nothing yeah. made sense. It's almost like it was set out so that people would pay attention and wake up, like put on your critical thinking caps. It doesn't take much. I'm not a doctor. I have some background in public health, but it doesn't take much to get there when you just lift your head up and listen for a minute. Right. And that's, I think that's the point. And Broken made this point. He can read, he can think. And Broken and I, you know, we have some uh, many disagreements and just for. uh, uh, And and I'm always right, by the way, but that's okay. You're always, you are, in fact, (laughs) and that's no, and that's the thing that actually I, I just love this guy for because oftentimes he is right and because he does the research <laughs> and he reads. But here's the point. I've been vaccinated. I advocate vaccinations. Uh, and I'm talking about the COVID vaccines, the mRNAs. I advocate those for people at high risk. If your BMI is 33 or higher, if you've got diabetes, mellitus, you're a very old person uh, at risk. I certainly advocate the use of those. So I'm not a quote unquote anti-vaxxer. I am a vaxxer for appropriate uh, demographic. I am not for, at this time, uh, vaccinating kids or even healthy people under the age of 50. There's no good reason that I can see if you have these medications available that you would necessarily want to do that right now, at least. I think we need more safety data coming out and I think the way we need to approach it is to be transparent with people instead of the way it's been done. And I don't think the way to get people to be vaccinated is to threaten them with losing their job, call them names and things like this. Uh, I, th- I think that's wrong. And again, I've taken the vaccine myself. I, I recommend the vaccine for a certain demographic, but I'm not in that camp where you've, if you've had the disease, get vaccinated. If you're a little baby, get vaccinated. If you're, that's crazy. I am in the, the control group, Dr. Payne. You know, you're, you're the experimental group, and I'm in the control group yes. because it's exactly. still an experiment. And they, they, they admit that. It's, it's an experiment. Yes. And that's another thing because we, we talked about this before, and, and yes. I know you kind of poo-pooed it. Yeah. And, and, I, and I understand what your position is, and I, and I, don't, I don't disagree with your <laughs> position, but it's, they still right. destroyed the study because they went back and the people that were in the control group, this is Pfizer, yeah. okay, they had yeah. 22,000 people in each group, right? Now, what's interesting about that, the Pfizer study is they had 22,000 people in each group, 22,000 that were, were, were injected with, with the vaccine and uh, quote unquote vaccine, and then 22,000 that got the placebo. And at the end of the study, it was like three months, they had eight 
people contracted COVID from the experimental group and 164 uh, from the control group. Well, that's less than 1% difference. You, you had 22,000 people, 164 is less than 1%. So it was a very, very small difference to begin yes. with. Okay. But what happened was after the, after it was done, they uh, went back to the people in the control group and they offered them, they said, well, the, you know, obviously we have a 95%, which is a totally bogus number. We, we, we all know that's relative and it means nothing, but offered them the, the injection and they took it. So what happened is, and I understand your point of view is as well, hey, if it's effective and it works, the people should have a right to have it and, and that's okay. But the net result of that is we don't have a study anymore because of all those people that were in the uh, control group have, are now vaccinated. We can't compare long term. We can't compare six months. We can't compare a year. We can't pair, can compare five years. So we've lost that ability to make that comparison. I, I think that's true for for side effects that are uh, on a smaller scale. For the larger side effects, I don't think we need that. Simply be, for instance, the pericarditis and the epic and the uh, myocarditis that we're seeing the mRNA vaccines is hundreds of times more than you would expect. So you don't need, I mean, that's clear cut. That's a side effect of, of the of Yeah, that's vaccine. short term. But yeah, that, that doesn't, that, the, that, but we have the spike protein now in the capillaries right. that are causing uh, blood right. clots. We don't know where that's going to lead. You're hundred percent right. But, but I'm just saying that so much of this vaccine has been given. We're going to see a rise epidemiologically in that, that you didn't even need the control group for. But you're right. You're right. And let me just say this, too. I'm open to the evidence. And, and I'll tell you, my faith, again, in the medical community has been so shaken this past year. I get to the place where I don't know what to believe anymore when, you know, my heroes of like Francis Collins and Anthony Fauci are saying stuff that's so off base, the Lancet, the New England Journal publishing garbage that they should know is garbage. Again, I, I'm at a place where, uh, and I've always been open to the data, but I, I'm, I'm very, gosh, skeptical. I see, I'm, I have a really jaundiced view now of, um, of medicine, honestly, leaders in medicine, let's put it that way. I want to have you gentlemen back maybe in a week or so where we can actually go into the breakthrough cases that you are seeing, Dr. Payne, but also the breakthrough yeah. cases that we're seeing in Israel with a 90% yeah. vaccination rate. And I heard 80% of the people coming into the hospital have the vaccine and are showing up with uh, COVID or the Delta, but um, before we get to that, maybe next week, I wanted you to briefly go over what we're seeing with the Delta. How did this thing evolve? How are they testing for it? Yeah. And so um, it's so the way you test for it is because we know the RNA sequence of this virus. And so and that's the kind of a myth that I hear out there. We haven't isolated the virus. Well, you don't necessarily isolate the virus. You, you have testing for it. But you can, once you see smoke in one area, know there's fire. So if you see this thing over and over and over, it's likely the Delta variant. You don't have to get every single one and characterize it using a PCR test, okay? And here's the deal. Uh, and this is what I'm going to predict. I'm going to predict this right now. The r not value of this Delta virus, is they, they say it's like seven. And that means that one person who has it is going to spread it to seven other people. And that is incredibly contagious, okay? 
this. Right. What, what so was the R not? Sorry. What was the R not for oh, COVID? R not yeah. was a term we used for how infective an agent is. So we put a number on it. So if the R not value is say 1.6, it means that uh, anybody that has the disease will pass it to 1.6 other people. Okay. What, what, what I wanted to to um, let the audience know, what was the R not for COVID? Was it 1.6? It, well, with treatments and with, and with the thing, it was it was like one, but I, I saw numbers up to two point three initially. And so and now then with, with the delta, it's seven. So it's it's, it's around seven. Got you it. get you see different numbers, but just on average, it's seven. So my point is, uh, this thing is is spreading like wildfire. In my hospital, we just saw just tons of people come in, not nearly as it was, uh, you know, several months ago, but that notwithstanding. Uh, and by the way, every sick person in the ICU is not vaccinated. Okay. Uh, the people that aren't vaccinated, they're the ones that are getting really sick. The ones that are coming in are vaccinated. It's very mild. So let me say that. Um, but here's what I'm predicting within two, between two and four weeks from now, we are essentially hitting herd immunity and we're going to see the cases drop down tremendously. And then what you're going to see is the government saying, oh, we have to worry about the winter. So everybody has to be vaccinated still. And you're just going to see a lot of herd immunity because you can't escape this Delta virus. This Delta variant is going to find you pretty much. That's that's my that's you know, that's what I'm predicting that that we're going to see a drop off in cases probably by September. Because everybody that can get infected will have gotten infected. Okay. And then there are also, you know, there, Fauci is floating the idea of the booster shot, and they've already done that in Israel. So I guess one of my questions then is, uh, where does that end? I mean, there's always going to be more variants. You're right. Yep. So and, this, and then, this doesn't end. And, and we need to talk about... The, the variant, my, my, my take on the variant is, and this is, a, this is interesting if you look at it, until we started, you know, using the, the, the vaccine until it came out, what, in, in December, right? Yeah. There weren't any, to my knowledge, there weren't any variants. But once the vaccine started being used, all of a sudden we have a variant. And right. my, my hypothesis is that here's, here's the deal. Viruses are very malleable, and they can mutate, drop of a dime if they need to. Uh, but they've always been able to mutate. They never yep. become anything other than virus, which is right. a whole other evolutionary issue that we could talk yep. about someday, which would be fun. They have the ability to mutate. So if they're, what they're doing is they're blaming the unvaccinated for the variant, but it seems to me it's the vaccinated that caused the variant because they have the quote unquote antibodies specifically for the original COVID. Well, and I'm and so glad you brought original, this up because we do have one so, more soundbite. Go on. Yeah. So, so, so the, the original COVID, if it comes to a unvaccinated person, can infect it, the, the person. So it has to mutate in order to stay alive and, and, and propagate as opposed to coming to an unvaccinated person would, Hey, no problem. They don't have the antibodies for it. Right. So, so yeah, what you just described would be uh, classic evolutionary selective pressures. Right. And so I can't, I can't argue with that, but I would also say 
and I know this sounds like conspiracy theory, but I, I but I, I become one of those after this last year and a half is uh, who who's to say that some of these variants weren't already in the lab? Yeah, well, uh, you know, I don't rule that out, but but okay. but but what I, what I am saying, Doctor Payne, is that <laughs> I'm tired of getting blamed for the variant because I'm unvaccinated. Right, right, that right, bothers me. Right. No, no, no. I think I think you make a very valid point there, and one could certainly make from an evolutionary perspective that that was selective pressures because of the uh, the vaccinations. Yep. Thank you. Mm-hmm. We have one more soundbite, the head of the CDC. I'm going to play for you right now. Our data from the CDC today suggests, um, you know, that that vaccinated people do not carry the virus, don't get sick, um, and, and that it's not just in the clinical trials, but it's also in real-world data. That was, that was March of this year. Now play the second one, which was just last week. I didn't get the second one. <laughs> Okay, the second one is where she was, uh, I think it was Anderson, Anderson Cooper, one of those from CNN. Wolf uh, Blitzer. When she was, Wolf Blitzer. Was, yeah, thank you, Wolf Blitzer. When she was saying, well, you know, uh, you know, the people that got the vaccination, uh, they're, they're, they're catching it and they're spreading it, so now we have to wear masks, basically. And we're, and back, we're, we're back to square one. <laughs> well... That's the issue, and, and, and that's what concerns me more than anything else because – and I think I, I agree with Dr. Payne uh, with regards to the, 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 the spread of, of the variant is, is going to be huge, and I think he's, he's absolutely right. I, th- I think it's going to spread so much we're going to have herd immunity on that. But what, ha- what happens in the next one and the next one and the next one? And if, right. and if, they're, if they're created by us or they're created in the lab or a combination of the two – those are the things that worry me more than anything else, and that, and that's and, and and that's why the therapeutics are so essential because the yes. therapeutics will work against everything, but the vaccine won't necessarily. I think that's the key point, and that's probably a key point to end on too, because in, in a few weeks we're gonna the landscape's gonna look a little differently and different, and we can kind of talk about that. But I think what you just said, broken, was the absolute key. That's why looking at therapeutics. Including the Regeneron product, the the uh, yeah 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 that you can use early in disease, which is uh, wildly underused, quite frankly. But I think what you sh- this point you just made is the absolute key. Yeah. So yeah. I uh, well, one last point. I just want to to get well. It's not really a point, but might be breaking news this week. Um, we might see Biden. He's supposed to be speaking to the the people of the United States on Wednesday, and it is suspected that he will be locking us down, putting in a stay in place order. So we'll see if that happens. But I'd like to have you gentlemen back maybe next week and talk. We can talk about those breakthrough cases and start getting into uh, some of the other. Mo- I mean, there's so many, so many different issues to talk about just with this one, um, this one virus that has plagued the, the whole world and has changed all of our lives and actually has brought in all of us together because we've been That's talking right. on a text message string for about a year and a half now and uh, right. finally getting together to hopefully shine some light on this truth. So don't if, if they call for a lockdown, go out. Don't 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 comply. It's time for us to stop complying. I'm not wearing a mask anymore. Uh, I live in 
a, a very liberal city, <laughs> extremely liberal city. And I was in a Walgreens today. Uh, and I was in uh, Home Depot. I was in some, uh, several other places. And a huge minority of people not wearing a mask. Most people wore a mask. I didn't wear a mask. And nobody said a word to me. Oh, and yeah. I am not wearing a mask. I'm not going back to the mask. I will not lock down. I'm done. Yep. This I, is where, I this, think a lot this, of people this, feel this the is, same. Until next time on Terror of the Woods, remember, <laughs> no question is a dumb question.